chapter 29. Last week we looked at the witch of Endor, chapter 28. We uh, saw how that panned out. And tonight we're going to look at how we need to really trust the Lord in everything. And he will bring about the victory for us. So first we want to look at the last straw, Saul's last stand. But the principle we're going to look at tonight as far as trusting God, uh, that he will give us the victory, is really shown to us throughout the whole entire book, as you remember. Uh, Each time it's shown in both the lives of Saul and David, and now it's revealed again in these last three chapters of 1 Samuel. As we start off here in in, uh, 1 Samuel 29, remember that Saul was not eating (laughs) at the end of, of chapter 28. And he was kind of beside himself. It says in verse 23 that he refused to eat. Uh, but finally they had a big feast for him. The witch prepared a meal. It says, and they rose and went out that night. And then verse 1 of chapter 29, we begin to see these circumstances which caused David to return to uh, Ziklag. And it tells us here in the first 11 verses. So let's begin by reading through the first couple of verses here are 29. We'll just talk our way through it. Now, the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. It's located about 24 miles north of Gath, which is the Philistine capital, remember. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in uh, Jezreel. That's about 40 miles n- northeast, uh, my notes say, of, of Aphek. As the lords of the Philistines were passing by, passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. Remember, this is the leader of these Philistines, Achish was, and David left the land of Israel, and he thought he'd be safer in the land of the Philistines. So he went over and approached this king and said, hey, you know that I'm a pretty good warrior. I'll watch out for you while we're over here. And this has been going on now. All right, so they, these guys have a relationship. And now uh, he's kind of playing the double agent, his worst nightmare. Now these folks are going to go fight the Israelites. <laughs> but it seems that David's on the wrong side. I mean, if you, if you had your child come home from Sunday school and say, what did you learn today? Well, we were in First Samuel. What did you learn? Oh, we learned that, that, that David uh, and the Philistines defeated Israel. You would say, oh, no, wait, you got your facts all wrong, right? It's, it's just doesn't seem that way. But that's really what's playing out here. Um, David endeared himself so much to this Philistine leader that he thought, hey, why not use this guy? And so it tells us here, as the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, a good group of men, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines says, why are these Hebrews here? What are they, what are they doing here? Saul is over with Israel, trying to still trying to figure out probably how to kill David. Because remember, he's repented several times, but it's not a godly repentance. It's just a sorrowful repentance, kind of like I got caught. <laughs> okay, okay, David, you could have killed me. You didn't. You're a good man. Sorry. But he's caught in this vicious cycle. And it tells us here that Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David? the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years. And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him this day. 
And so what he does is he points out to the, the commanders of the Philistines that, look, this guy's a good guy. He's a faithful guy. He's a faithful warrior. He's got battle skills. Why would we not want him on our side? We don't want him on the other side. But the commanders of the Philistines just didn't feel comfortable with that. I don't think any commander would. You know, this is part of the problem over in Afghanistan right now with our military. They're trying to join forces with an element of the Afghan army, and some of these people are not good people. So what do they do? They take advantage of us reaching out in good faith and trying to train them and everything, and then whenever they get the chance, one of these soldiers goes off the hook and kills some American soldiers. So, you know, whenever you're, you're mixing the enemy with the, the, the friends and you're trying to do this this way, it's not necessarily a good thing. And maybe the, the commanders of the Philistines here figured this out. Some of the reasons that brought David to the Philistines were used by God to accomplish his purposes. And, you know, he was anxious, obviously, over Saul. That's why he ended up there, right? I mean, he was worried that Saul was, Saul was going to kill him. That's why he ended up over with this king. And remember, when he went, he actually gave him the land of, of Ziklag and kind of said, hey, you know, you can watch over this and, and this is, you know, your land and, and you, you protect it, whatever. And so he was actually, him and his men had a, an area to dwell in, things like that. And then he was running attacks on what he said probably to this king was, yeah, I'm running kind of attacks across the border and, and taking out some of your enemies. He just wasn't real clear on what enemies he was talking about. And he was doing this to the Amalekites. God uses all these facts to further his will in this situation. And that's one thing we're going to see as we go through these couple chapters here, is you see the providence of God as we have seen the whole book over and over and over again. We see certain situations arise and you think, oh no, this is not going to be good. And God somehow works it out for his purposes. But the reaction of the Philistine commanders here was, hey, this is not, not um, uh, a, a good thing, what's happening here. And so Akish said to the commanders, he's been here with me. I found no fault with him this day. But look at verse 4. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle. And this makes sense. Lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. That would be the worst thing, right? You're in a battle and you're fighting the enemy and all of a sudden the person that you thought was on your side, what happens? He turns on you. Okay, so these commanders had their wits about them and I think maybe this king got a little too close and David kind of won him over whether it was David's purpose to do that or not. Uh, It doesn't really tell us exactly. But... I think the commanders made the right call here, at least from a strategic point. And then it says, For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? In other words, this guy, David, has a beef with the king of Israel. What would be the best way for him to reconcile to this guy? To bring a bunch of Philistine heads and say, Here, you know, I'm fighting with them behind the thing, but I'm going to take him out. I'm going to help you out, King Saul. And they knew David's history. And that's why they, they said, there is this not David, 
of whom they sing to one another in dances. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Remember that when, when David was, the Lord was with David and he prospered him in battle and the people began to, that's the whole problem really started there, right? With Saul and David. Saul got jealous. He thought, wait a minute, you know, I'm the king, not you. And uh, he began to question David's loyalty. And he was just kind of losing it. He was losing his mind. The Lord had departed from Saul. He wasn't, he was, he was named the king of Israel. He was, still had that position, but he had no power. And even amongst his own people, he was diminished. Uh, the respect for him was greatly diminished. When you, when you look, look back at, uh, I think it's 1421, 1 Samuel 1421, it says, Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So, see, these Philistines knew of David. They, they didn't, you know, it's not like he was a total stranger to them. They actually deserted before, and they, they, they were with, with David for a period of time. So they, they all had this kind of awkward relationship uh, going on here. And in verse 6, it says, Then the king, Achish, called David to, to, and said to him, As the Lord lives, it's kind of funny, this guy doesn't worship the Lord, but he invokes the name of the Lord, uh, just like other people do. Right? How many times have you heard people say, you know, you, you, you say to somebody, you tell me it's just, honest to God, honest to, you know, they raise their hand. It's like, wow, this, you know, they don't even know the Lord, but they're, they're willing to the, swear on him. Um, and that's kind of what this king is doing. He's saying, as the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So you can see this king is really at the whim of his commanders. All right. I mean, they're kind of running the show here when it came down to a military campaign. Wisely, I think the king, king realizes maybe eh, maybe they're right. I, I don't want to put, maybe he felt awkward putting David in this position. I don't know what was going through David's mind. You stop and think about it. All of a sudden, you've got to go and fight against God's people. Uh, that's, 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 that's a crazy thing. And so whether David kind of figured, eh, got to get me out of this, Somehow I'm going to go over there and camp out with the Philistines and maybe he didn't see this coming, but God in his faithfulness provided a way out. You know, because the minute he would have said, oh, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kill my own people. They would have killed him. So at that time, it's kind of like a survival mode almost behind enemy lines. And here the Lord takes care of David as he always does. He, he protects us. And David trusts in the Lord, obviously, to do this. It's not... You know, we don't see it here on the printed page, but obviously you can imply that because to be in that situation and to be calm and to be cool about it and to, to not show your hand was, a, was definitely a, a, a wise thing. And so he says there in verse, uh, verse 8, he kind of appeals. See, David is this, this guy who just really lives and dies almost by his character. 
you know, whether it's right or wrong. You know, he, he doesn't want someone to think ill of him. And so he's really going out of his way here to, to prove to this enemy king that, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll support you and everything. And so David said to Achish, but what have I done? He kind of appeals to him. And maybe that was just a kind of a, a, a false claim. You know, he just kind of threw it up there to make sure that this guy really thought this. We don't know. We're not told. What have you found in, found, what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. I mean, it's kind of a a mind-blowing thing. It would be like someone being held captive by by ISIS, and now they're going to fight and kill Americans. You would say, whoa, you would question their, their loyalty to their country, to their people, everything. And we're just not told all the the details here of why this is happening. I mean, ultimately, it's fulfilling the purpose of the Lord. But verse 9, Akish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight. That speaks to what? David's character. He's blameless. There's nothing, you know, well, remember that time when, you know, I found you sneaking out there and you were talking. There's nothing like that. He was, he was full on in support. Now, whether it was sincere or not, Maybe it was just survival mode. It's better to be over here with the enemy than it is over there with Saul who's trying to kill me every other day. The one thing that's interesting here is that you see the, the reassurance of Akish concerning David because of his character. That couldn't change what was going to take place here. And so Akish answered David, I know that you're blameless in my sight. And then he says, as, the, as an angel of God. Once again, he invokes David's God into this picture. I don't know if he's just trying to make everything, smooth everything over here, thinking, man, if this guy gets riled up, we know what he did before. <laughs> you know, this guy's a warrior. He could probably take us all on uh, if, the, if the hand of God is with him. So maybe he's trying to appease, in a weird sense, to that angle as well. But it, it just, he's putting David on this, on this almost supernatural level. In my sight, as an angel of God. In other words, you're, you're pure, David. Your heart is, is pure. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. So then he gives them the instructions. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So get a good night's rest and then get your butts out of here. (laughs) You know, they don't want you here. I'm doing this for your own protection. Maybe the king was thinking, I don't know. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And so when you, when you see this whole kind of thing playing out here, you wonder, what is God doing here in chapter 29? I think he's, he's commending, in a, in a weird way, the, the character of David. Okay, even, even though he was among these people who were going to go fight against Israel, he maintained his character. You know, he had a sense of respect for those in position, those in authority over him. And at this time, it was the king in this land. All right. And so he was being respectful of that, just like he was ever respectful of Saul. So you can see how God has his hand kind of working behind the scenes here, providentially, to allow all this to take place. 
the, uh, the Philistines go up to the, the plains there of, of Jezreel. Well, as we begin chapter 30, you see what happens. <laughs> it says, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, back to where they were, the Amalekites, remember, these are the people that he was attacking, right? The Amalekites had made a raid against Negeb and against Ziklag. So they must have had spies there and thinking, okay, you know what? Obviously, David is gone, and so let's, let's go down here and we'll raid the camp. He took all the soldiers with him. They're a sitting duck. And so that's what the Amalekites did. It says they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both great and small, which indicates they took children, they took everything. So they raided uh, the camp. And you're thinking, wow, this is not going to end well. This is, not, this is not good. And remember, they have this, this history with, with the Amalekites. All right? Um, all the way back in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, remember in verse 7, it says, And Saul defeated the Amalekites. And it, it tells us over and over and over and over again how these, these, these people were defeated in battle, on and on and on. And here the Amalekites take advantage of the situation and say, hey, here's our chance. Let's, let's raid our enemy here at Ziklag. So they had overcome, they burned it with fire, they'd taken captive everybody. But look at what it says. They killed no one. Isn't that amazing? Well, there's no soldiers. They were all with David, right? So they, they killed no one. They took the women and the children. And that really speaks of what? God's grace. I mean, to be in a war of, of this nature and not have anyone die is, is pretty amazing. Uh, sometimes I think what we see as a tragedy is simply another plan or purpose that God has in his plan for us. I mean, you look at this, oh, man, how could God allow this to happen? I thought he was going to protect David. I thought he was going to protect these people. And, you know, this, this unfortunate thing happens. The Amalekites come and they take them captive. But you know what? This all plays into God's purpose, all plays into God's plan. Sometimes in life, we have things that rise up in our lives, right? Things that we, we can't understand. I mean, things that hurt, things that bring pain, things that, you know, we wouldn't sign up for personally. But you know what? They're part of God's purpose for us. They're part of God's plan for us. And, you know, it's, it may be hard to go through them, but never think that God will not give you the strength. God will not give you the grace to endure that. And in the end, you'll look back and you'll go, wow, what a mighty God we serve. How gracious he was. That wasn't fun. But you know what? He got us through it. And see, this is what I think God is trying to convey to these folks. So they killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. They took them as slaves, basically. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. Now, if, if David was some mamby-pamby guy that never fought in a war or whatever, you know, I, you would kind of understand. But this is a warrior. This is somebody who doesn't think anything of anybody, right? And to come and find your whole village burned and no one home. Now, he didn't know at this time where they at, what, you know, what's going on. They realized that they'd been taken captive. Verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. So once again, this mighty warrior is broken. 
his spirit is broken. Verse 5 kind of indicates why. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the two wives, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. Has the idea of being, you know, bitter. Has the idea of, you know, I I can only imagine, God, what what are you doing? I mean, how many times have we in our lives felt that way? You know, maybe someone passed away. Maybe certain report from the doctor, whatever. God, what are you doing? And see, the one thing we see throughout the whole book of 1 Samuel is that God is doing something. It may not be what we want, but he's doing something, and he's doing it for his purpose, for his glory. And so it says they wept till they had no more strength to weep, and his two wives were taken. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, (laughs) because all the people were bitter in soul. I mean, you came home and everybody was apparently wiped out and everything was burned up. Can you, can you only imagine how you would feel? And these are people on your side. And they're, they're, you, know, you have a rebellion on your hands all of a sudden. And you know, it can happen just that fast. I remember one time I was, I was working at a, uh, a factory in it's a restocking place in kind of a warehouse in uh, uh, Fremont. I only worked there for a couple months. But I remember there was one guy there that he worked there for a long time, and he was just, he knew where all the, everything was. If he knew anything, you could just go to him and you could ask him. And he'd, oh, yeah, that's an aisle five, you know, because what we'd do is we'd take the product off and make these pallets and wrap the pallets up and put them on this belt. It was just a silly job, but I needed, <laughs> needed a job. I was in between churches. So we, uh, I remember thinking this guy, man, this guy is like, like, he knows everything about everything. I mean, I bet this guy could do anything he wants in this place, right? And I remember at, at one, I don't know what this guy did. I don't know if he stole something from the factory, the company. I don't know what it was. But within one day, he was gone. And, you know, I mean, there, and then all these rumors, right, started to go around. And, and it was just like, wow. And I, I, I thought, wow, I wonder what's going through this guy's mind. I mean, you know, he's been here years like you know 20 some years what could he have done and but that's how fast things can change right i mean we don't know what tomorrow holds whether it's by our own stupidity or whether it's by you know whatever might happen and see that's the one thing here these guys came back thinking hey everything's going to be fine we're just going home and and what happens they show up and there's nothing there right it's all burned up it's all gone and they, they're just broken. They're distressed. David's distressed because the people were now rebelling. So now he's dealing with his own grief, but now he's got to kind of bear this burden of the people because all the people were bitter and so each for his sons and daughters. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to bear the responsibility of caring? That's basically what David was. He was the leader. And he almost abrogated his responsibility here. He left them wide open. The Malachites just came in and took them. They didn't even have to kill anybody. That's how easy it was for them. So, you know, sometimes even the greatest of warriors can get their mind on something they shouldn't be thinking about. And I think here it was just, okay, maybe he had some device, some plan to go over there and 
and uh, somehow help out Israel. I don't know what was going through his mind, but he wasn't focused on protecting the people that were with him or, nor his, his own family, obviously. So they're gone. The people are ready to stone him because they lost their, their sons and daughters too. But I love the end of verse 6 because it, it talks about David's, his continual reliance upon the Lord, his continual reliance upon the Lord. It says there in verse eight, but or verse six, but David strengthened himself where? In the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That indicates that David had a relationship, right? With his Lord. It wasn't just, oh, you know, I invoke by the power of God like you know the king was doing earlier, you know, boy as the Lord lives, you know, no, it wasn't like just cheap words. This is, this is David's God. It's his God. And he was able to kind of strengthen himself. That means to, to really uh, focus and remember his relationship, his walk with his creator. And, you know, if you're going through a tough time, if you're going through a time when you feel all alone, and trust me, he did. He didn't have anybody with him except the people that were going to stone him. And he had to cry out to God. Uh, look at Psalm, Psalm 50, verse 15, because, you know, as you know, David wrote some of the Psalms, and you can, can see where they would come from when you go through experiences like this. Psalm 50, look at verse, uh, verse uh, 14, we'll start. It says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. All right. This is something obviously that David is living out. Or Psalm 91, excuse me, Psalm 91, 15 as well. It says in verse 14, because he holds fast to me, we sing that, that song, he will hold me fast. He holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Okay, these are God's promises to us. And David realized these promises. It wasn't just book knowledge. He was actually living this stuff out in real life. And see, sometimes we can go through very, very difficult times. And it's very easy to be focused on what? Our problems. And we get so focused on the problems, we forget about the God who can fix the problems. And so then all of a sudden we're fearful and and we're running and we don't know what to do. And the last place we run to is the Lord. (laughs) See, David, remember, he was what? A man after God's own heart. That doesn't mean he was some super spiritual saint. That just means he understood who he was and he understood who God was. And God was his only only chance of, of making it through any of this. And so he was totally reliant upon the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. In verse 7 it says, And David said to Abiathar, remember, Abiathar was the priest that escaped. Remember when they, they, killed, when they killed all the priests? And he was the one guy that, that got away. And uh, he was with, he was the son of uh, Ahimelech, he was with David. He deserted Saul, <laughs> and he, he came over to David. And so David says to this priest, hey, bring me the ephod. The ephod, it was a, 
kind of a, a thing that the priest, usually it was a garment that they would wear, but within it, it would have ways to kind of understand and de- determine God's will. And one was in the ephod, they would have a, they called it ermine and a thurman. And, and they would use this somehow. I mean, modern day thing, it's kind of like rolling dice, like lots almost. But somehow God used this with the priest to discern the will of God. And we don't know much about this, how they did this. But he says, bring me the ephod. And, and Abathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord. So that's what they would do. They would go to the priest. Now, you, you notice that this is what David is doing at this situation. I don't think, if you recall, you're not going to find it if you look. But when David decided to go over to the, the enemy's side, remember he's going to get away from Saul? I don't remember him doing this. I don't remember him thinking, hmm, you know what? I got to inquire of the Lord here to see if God wants me to. He just did it. And then when the king came to him and said, hey, we're going to go fight with the, the, you know, uh, your people. And you're going to be part of the the thing. I don't remember David going, wait a minute, I got to check this out with the priest. He didn't do that. So he kind of got himself in a fix because he was not inquiring of the Lord. What does the Lord want? He was just reacting. You know, remember this, whenever you just react to something, it's probably not going to be good. If you just react, you know, it's probably not going to be good. It's better to act. It's better to stop and to say, okay, wait a minute. This is getting a little too emotional. This is getting too a little crazy. Let's, what, what would the Lord want me to do in this situation? But see, so many times our emotions get out of whack. We get going in a certain direction. It's hard to pull the reins in. I totally get that. But that doesn't mean we can't do it, especially as believers with the spirit of the Lord. You know, we can do that. Uh, God is able to allow, this is the wind, to allow us to, to do that. And so David here is totally relying on the Lord. He's directing his heart to the Lord. He's, he's asking, God, shall I, look at what he says in verse 8, shall I pursue after this band? In other words, these people that came and did this to our people, what should I do? I mean, it would have been very easy and justifiable for, for David to get his men and just go find these people and wipe them out. But he didn't want to do that. He's, he's learned some lessons. He says, shall I overtake them? And God answered him through the priest. The way the priest would do this thing, they discerned, okay, you know what? The answer is this, pursue. For you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. I mean, what a wonderful way to go in to a situation where God has already settled the outcome, right? I mean, God has already figured out, look, just do it my way and you'll be okay. If we would just learn that lesson, but so many times we go off on our own, we get you know, caught up in the flesh or whatever it is, and we end up messing things up even worse. But God can take a mess and he can fix it. And sometimes that mess is even part of his purpose, his plan to, to keep us focused on him. He says, shall I overtake him? And he says, yes, definitely do it. You shall not only overtake them, but you're going to rescue. So what does that do? That's God's grace saying, hey, there's hope here. Your people aren't dead. You're going to actually bring them back. You're going to have your, your two wives. The other people are going to have everybody else, their sons and daughters. And as a result of that, guess what's going to happen? They're probably not going to want to stone you anymore because you've fixed the situation. So it says in verse 9, so David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. So 
he left 200 people there. We, we don't understand why some people say, well, um, the brook may have been, it may have been springtime and maybe the brook was just too high and these people were too weak because they, I don't know. But whatever reason, these 200 people could, these 200 men couldn't go forward. And so they stayed behind. Uh, they were too exhausted to cross the brook. So obviously it wasn't just a little stream. It was probably a raging river at this point. And um, it says in verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country, just out in the middle of the field, and brought him to David. So they, they were just out there kind of doing reconnaissance, and they found this guy, grabbed him, said, okay, what do you know? They brought him to David, and they gave him bread. He must have been famished. He was out there in the wilderness. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a desert area. He ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So they're trying to get this guy able to talk to them. Right, they're winning him over. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or, or drunk water for three days and three nights. So obviously he was just out there wandering around the wilderness, and they really saved his life. So they had every, he had every reason to, to talk with them. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. So he kind of understood at this point this is kind of a precarious situation because I'm on their side, but I'm just a servant to the Amalekite. I'm an Egyptian. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. Verse 14, then he begins to give them some information that they wanted. We made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And so David has found his informant that he needed. And he's on the path of figuring this, this puzzle out. And David said to him, verse 15, will you take me down to this band? I mean, you know, that's kind of a, <laughs> you know, okay, we, we just saved your life, pal. And there's, I got 400 people with me. Are you going to help me out? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, if the guy would have said no, they, they, they would have just killed him. Will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me, by God, that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. So here you have this report of this Egyptian, which, you know, this isn't just happenstance. Once again, you know, it's not like David and his men are out there just roaming around and, oh, look, look who we found. No, God's hand sovereignly is arranging all these things, just like he does in our lives today. And, uh, uh, you know, the guy is, is, he may be weak and famished, but he's still got his wits about him because he says, you know, swear to me by God, in other words, your God, that you will not kill me. All right, once I give you this information, I don't want you to kill me. Secondly, please don't give me back to my master. You know, this was not a good situation. He's probably figuring almost like David did. You know, I, I could probably live better with you guys even though you're, the, you're considered the enemy among the people that I serve, uh, I could probably live better among you. I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to come over to your side, uh, just like David did when he went into their land. So he says, hey, don't kill me. Don't give me over to the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating, drinking, dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the, 
the land of the Philistines, and from the land of Judah. Now remember, this is, it's, it's David's stuff because he was dwelling in the land of the Philistines, right? Don't get, don't get mixed up. He, he's dwelling in the land of the Philistines at this time because Saul's trying to kill him in the land of Israel. So he, he went over there. And so they took all this stuff. They're having a giant party. And it says in verse 17, And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. This pretty much a, a slaughter. This is, this is something that uh, is just amazing. And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. All right. So, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're riding their, their camels out in the, the desert somewhere. This was, remember, a, a good band of people. It says, and David re- recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19, once again, the grace of God, nothing was missing. Whether great or, or small, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. Obviously, if they were eating and dancing, maybe, maybe they hadn't tapped into the spoils yet. Okay, they were eating their own food. I don't know, but it says everything was recovered, so I'm going with that. You think you would eat the enemies that you just took their stuff first, but apparently they, they weren't too bright. So he recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. And then look at the end here, verse 20. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. So once again, all of a sudden, the tide turns. The results of the battle are, all of a sudden, the people aren't stoning David. They're what? They're lauding him as a warrior. They're, wow, this, this is what a king does. All right, if this would have been Saul, he probably would have ran the other way or been trying to chase David somewhere and never, not even care, concerned about the people. So it's kind of an, an interesting parallel between David and Saul and their leadership abilities and even their their ability to, to, to go to war. And it says there that, uh, verse 21, then David came to the 200 men, so they're on their way back, who had been too exhausted to follow David. So remember, these guys are kind of left back with the bags at the brook because they couldn't get everything across. They were too weak. And he left uh, uh, 200 people there with that. And, and they've done this before, remember, when it, maybe this was a strategic thing. We don't know. But the response of the soldiers are such that it seems like these, these two guys were too weak and they were kind of looked at as a bunch of wimps. And so when they got back to these guys, they went out to meet David and to meet people, the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and, look at this, worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil." that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. So they were kind of like, hey, you know, you didn't fight for this stuff. You know, you're not getting any of it back. But David, obviously, he remembers who these people are. They're part of the family. And, you know, he's not going to just discount that. And so he, he, he takes this and he really turns it around. Okay. And he says, wait a minute. No. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. See, these guys were saying what? This is what we got. 
And David's saying, no, 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 no. This has came from the Lord's hand. This is, God's has been gracious to us. And not one person was killed, at least on their side. The other folks were wiped out, but except for the people that got away on the camels. So he says, with what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. And so, you know, you say, well, who are these these guys? I mean, these are guys that are part of his thing that were obviously, you know, not fully on bar, board. Maybe they were, were some of the, the individuals that wanted to, to stone David, whatever. But it describes them as, as worthless and uh, wicked. And so just because they were on David's side, I mean, sometimes even people on your own side are, you know, questionable. <laughs> you know, you see that a lot in military situations. And so he gives the credit to the Lord. Verse 24, who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into battle, so his share will be who stays with the baggage. So they they obviously left some stuff at the brook, and these guys were given the task of, all right, you can't go, you're sick, fine. Hang out here and watch what we have. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue. In other words, a, a rule, a law. And, and uh, he said, from this day forward, this is how we're going to do it. It's, it's equal spoil amongst all. All right. And he really, really wanted these, these people to understand this. And so then it says, uh, verse 26, when David came to Ziklag, he, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, because remember, they, they raided them too. Here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. Once again, what's he doing? He's giving credit to the Lord. Verse 27, it was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth, in Negeb, in Jatir, in Ur, uh, in Sifmoth, Estomoa, and Rachal, in the cities of the, the, the Jumelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borashan, in Aphek, in Hebron, for all those places where David and his men had roamed. So he's saying, okay, here, we won. Here are some spoils. And he equally distributes this amongst everybody. Then we come to verse 31. So we've seen kind of God's protection, his trust. We've seen it in the circumstances which caused David to get back to Ziklag. We've seen it in the conquest of the Amalekites. And then lastly, we see it in the consequences that Paul or that Saul, excuse me, has to bear out, okay, here in verse in chapter thirty one. So we start off in verse thirty one and it says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. Remember this this is still going on. This this war is still going on. The men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell uh, slain on Mount Geboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. So all his sons are dead. And the battle pressed hard against Saul. Now remember, Saul was a warrior as well. I mean, he wasn't just some mamby-pamby guy. I mean, he knew how to fight. And so this is what he's doing. It says the, the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. In, in that kind of battle, they would have a bow and arrows. They would 
you know, used different things, and this is one of the, the things. They, they spotted him, and it says that he was badly wounded by the archers. So how badly wounded kind of tells us here in verse 4, then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. So in other words, just kill me. This is, I'm not going to survive this. Lest the uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not. I mean, you're talking about killing the king, right? He's not going to do that. For he feared greatly. They didn't respect Saul, but they feared him. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. So he, he literally committed suicide, tried to at least. And I'll, I'll tell you why I say tried to in a second. He fell upon it, and when his armor bore saw that, saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men, on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and they fled. So they just turned tail and ran. And the Philistines came and lived in those cities, in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they would go out and they would take whatever values they could, armor or whatever, they could use it for their own men. They found Saul and his three sons fallen on, on Mount Geboa. So they cut off his head, they stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers through the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to their people. So they're celebrating. They're in a sense of celebration here, victory, spoils of war. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth. Remember, they were polytheistic, so they had multiple gods before it was the, the, uh, the god of Dagon, I think, and, and now it's, it's this god. So they put his armor there, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. The wall of Bashan is kind of this giant hillside. It's literally like a wall, but it's almost a natural wall. It's very, almost vertical. And they would do this for intimidation. Okay, a modern day rendition of this is what, uh, when ISIS was up and running very strongly, they would do this. Okay, they would go in and they would slaughter people. They would take their heads, they'd put them on posts outside. So you knew who's in control here. And if you questioned it, your head was going to be on the post next. Uh, the Romans did the same thing with the crucifixion. It was just a way of intimidating uh, the people who lived in the land so that they would obey everything they said. Uh, so they, they cut his head off. They put it, they put it on the, uh, uh, the wall. They put his body to the wall. They put his head in another place. We'll find out. But when the inhabitants of Jebesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. Now, you, you might say, well, wait a minute. Who are the people of uh, Jebesh Gilead? If you go back... In 1 Samuel, probably remember this, but uh, 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 11, it says, The Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, remember, and he didn't do it, and then Saul had to go in and, and, and kind of free these people. All right? We went, we went through that before. Well, these people hear what they did to Saul. He's kind of their hero, so they're like, Hey, we're not going to stand for this. So they heard what the Philistines had done. All the valiant men arose and went all night. It's probably about an 11-mile journey, 22-mile journey round trip. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of the sons from the wall of Bethshen, and they came to Jabesh, and they burned them there. And what that means is they would, the way they would rid of a body, they would actually burn 
the flesh off the body so that animals wouldn't eat it. And then they would take the bones and they would bury them. Uh, and that's basically what they did. They, they, they burned the bodies there and then they took their bones and they buried them under a tamarisk tree in Jabesh and they fasted seven days. End of story. Okay, this is how it ends. It's a disgrace upon Saul. It's a disgrace upon Israel. I mean, to do this with a Jewish body, I mean, Jews are very particular how their burial should be done. And so these men from Jabesh Gilead thought, hey, you know what, at least we're going to honor this to some extent. So that's the entire book of uh, 1 Samuel. Now, what's interesting is there's a couple things I just want to, in closing here, share with us just real quickly. Just principles. I don't think it's in your outline. I didn't put it in your outline. But the, the first principle I think that we can take away from this book is that you cannot outrun the arm of God. You cannot outrun the arm of God. It doesn't matter how far you try to run. It doesn't matter how fast you try to run. You know, you can't do it. Here is Saul. From very early on, he's, he's had this encounter with a spiritual man. He's been given truth, and what does he do? He, he doesn't embrace it, okay? He, he reluctantly becomes king, if you remember. He's hiding in the baggage when they were supposed to coronate him, and he didn't want any, kind of anything to do with it. But then he grew into this, this role, and he realized, hey, this isn't half bad. I got a lot of power. I got a, and it started to feed his flesh. And he wasn't really interested in, in the things of God anymore, and he got off track. And when you stop and you look at the parallel reigns of David and Saul, you know, you, I, I have to ask myself this question. Why did God allow Saul to reign for 40 years? I mean, it was all the way back in, I think, 1 Samuel 15, when the Lord, right, rejected Saul spiritually as their king, said, you're, you're not even worth being king. There's somebody that's coming that's better than you, and he's going to be king. You and your family are done. It's over. But God still allowed him to kind of, quote, reign as king for almost as long as David did. They both reigned about 40 years. And you stop and you think, wow, why would that have happened? I mean, why wouldn't, when he was rejected, God just didn't strike him dead and, hey, David's king, we move on. Because God has a purpose. He has a plan. He's, he's teaching us principles. He's teaching us all these things that we learned throughout this whole book. And so, you know, he, he just allowed it, Saul, to reign, even though early on, maybe the second or fourth year of his reign, he, he was rejected as king. He continued for another 35 years. He led Israel during that time. You can't outrun the arm of God. In the end, God is going to win. This is so important to understand because some people think that somehow, no, 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 I'll just outlast it. I'll just do it my way. I'll just, just stop all that nonsense. Just give it up, surrender, and just say, okay, God, you know what? I just want to do what you want me to do and nothing more, nothing less. And, you know, that may not be what you want to do at the time. But you know, when God is in the right place in your heart, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you know you're doing what, what the Lord desires. So you can't outrun the arm of God. And that by the arm of God, I mean his judgment. It catches up with Saul. You know, it, it catches up with all of us. Uh, secondly, that compromise always has consequences. Compromise always results in consequences. If you want to know why Saul died... 
uh, if you look at um, First Chronicles, it tells us very clearly, it's another account of this whole story, but First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, it tells us exactly why Saul died. I mean, we can, we, we can think of, of a lot of reasons that Saul died, but it tells us in verse 13 of First Chronicles chapter 10. So Saul died for his what? Breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, look at this, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. I mean, it, that was after the fact. And no, and it, and it wasn't sincere either. You know, it wasn't sincere. Because every time he would seek any kind of guidance or whatever, it was never done the way the Lord prescribed. Right. So, you know, and there's, there's so many people even today in our world, you know, that say they want the Lord's help. They say they want, but they don't want to do things the Lord's way. Right? So, I mean, we've all dealt with people like that. You know, well, I want to know more about God. Well, you need to read the Bible. You need to come to a Bible-believing church. You need to be under the teaching. Well, I don't have time for that. Well, then you really don't want to do it. You know, it's not, you're not going to do it with, by just putting your Bible under your pillow at night. It doesn't work that way. Okay? And then some people consider the cost, and they say, I'm not willing to pay that. Okay? That's, that's what happened even in Jesus' day, right? I mean, he had thousands of people following him at times. Thousands of people. And his disciples, the poor disciples, thought, wow, this is great. Look at the following we have. And then Jesus would turn around and say something, you know, you know, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow me, don't call yourself one of my disciples. And he'd always say something hard, and it would tell us that masses of people would stop following him. And the poor disciples were going, what are you doing? You know, we're trying to build a movement here, and here you are, you know, chasing people away. But compromise always has its consequences. And it tells us here that the Lord killed Saul because of his breach of faith. Now we're going to find out, and it's kind of interesting if you read Second Samuel, the, the very first part of it, it gives a different account. Not different, but it just fills in some different details on Saul's death. Okay, it says that there's this messenger that comes and, and he tell, tells David, yeah, you know, I I came up behind Saul, and he told me to kill him, and I killed him. Well, did he commit suicide? Did he fall on his sword? I think he did. Was he hit by the archers? I think he was. You know, did this guy uh, kill him? I think he probably did. He probably put him out of his misery. Okay, but in the end, what happened? The Lord took him out. You know, it's irrelevant how, but the idea is, is that he was not willing to stop compromising when it came to the things of the Lord. And, and whenever we compromise, it's, it never has a good effect on anything. You know, we think, well, we're just going to dumb down the gospel a little bit to kind of entertain people a little more just so that, you know, they can just get a little taste and then maybe eventually we'll share with them the hard, cold facts of the gospel. And, and by then, they're, they're not willing to listen anymore. You know, so you, compromise has its consequences. And we've seen that throughout the book, throughout the entirety of the book both on Saul's side and even on David's side, right? So it's, it's an important principle. And then the last thing is God's word always leads to fulfillment. God's word always leads to fulfillment. Remember, early on in this book, how did this book start? It started with a, a prayer of Hannah 
and God fulfilling his promise, saying that she was going to have a son, and she did. And her son was going to kind of usher in this, this Messiah. And here we have Samuel, the priest, who was her son. And it, it, and it all, it all kind of came right down. And, and eventually, King David will be king. And eventually, the Messiah came out of his line. And so all this ties together, is my point, for the idea that when God says something, it's going to happen. I mean, even when Samuel said, hey, you know what? Yeah, you've been king two or four years, something like that. You're not going to be king anymore. God's going to strip this away from you. There's somebody better that's coming. And yet he reigned for another 35 years. Saul's probably thinking, stupid Samuel, what was he talking about? But God's word does not fall flat. Or even the witch in Endor, right? What did she, tomorrow you're going to be dead. <laughs> you know, that's what Samuel said, remember? when she, And, and, and it came to pass. I mean, we, we can't toy around when it comes to the Word of God because it's all about how God's Word has brought forth and been fulfilled and ultimately everything that, that points to the fulfillment is, is pointing to Christ, right? Ultimately, Christ will return. We say, well, when will it happen? We don't know. But don't second-guess it. Don't think, oh, well, I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, it will. Don't think there's not a place called hell. The Bible says that there is a place called hell. There will be people that will be there. There's a place called heaven. There's, there's, there's a man called Jesus who lived on this earth who claimed to be God and was God and died on a cross and provided a way of salvation. And all those promises and everything are in God's word. And they will be fulfilled right down to the jot and tittle. And so we really need to take hope and, and faith in that and, and remember that God is faithful. He'll continue to lead us and, and guide us in all these things. That's it. That's, that's the, the book of 1 Samuel. And remember, 1 and 2 Samuel were one book originally, but they couldn't fit into the scroll. It was too big. That's why you have 1 and 2 Samuel. So, but originally, it was, just, it was just one book. So we'll continue in, in the 2 Samuel uh, when we start back up. I don't know if it's going to be next week or the week after, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that um, so you can start reading 2 Samuel now.